Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM Radio. All right. Well, each week, every Thursday, we have the Ask Brian Radio Show. It's basically a business show where we try to help our listeners learn something about business. But every week, people say, why is Brian spelled with an E? And we go through this whole rigmarole of trying to explain that to people. So people that have been listening to the show, they know it. But some people don't. And we never know about a new listener coming on. So for that reason, we have to explain why Brian is spelled with an E and it's not spelled B-R-I-A-N or B-R-Y-A-N or my name is Peter. So let's get more confused. So Tracy, give us some reasons why Brian is spelled with an E. Well, you know, I usually start out with one specific E, but I'm feeling just highly energetic today and super enthusiastic. So I wanted to kick us off with talking about how important the energy is that you bring to anything that you do. And our experts always do that. I think there's way too many. You're trying to be too efficient and people don't understand what you're talking about. And it's like, okay, can I put all five E's in a paragraph? Of course you can. In one sentence. But it doesn't mean. We have such an exciting guest today. I just wanted to just make sure we got right into it. Well, you already said exciting. That was the first one you said. So. And you're missing the three most important ones that you're aware of. Oh, I wasn't missing anything. I just wanted to shake it up a little bit in terms of the order in which we announced them. Well, it's, it's not very shaken at all, except for the shaking the confidence <laughs> in our listeners. Like, what's going on here? What happened? <laughs> well, okay. So let's just get further into it with, with our absolute talk about the experts that we interview on the show and what is exactly defines an expert. Are you asking me? <laughs> <or> telling me. <laughs> it sounds like you're asking a question well, because you don't know, but, you know, I'm sorry, but especially from somebody like you, these used to be the top two E's for you and you're not even discussing them. We're going to have to get through those two and then I will answer that question because it looks like I'm going to okay. have to get involved here, right? So, you know, I empathize, okay, very important aspect of our company here. We empathize with all of our listeners, with everybody out in the world, and we especially empathize with the engineer who puts his heart and puts everything into it to make this show a great show. So can we have an applause? Oh, thank you. Applause for me. Applause. Thank you. Thank you. Round of applause for the engineer. Absolutely. And we also really should probably remind everybody that this show is if you are an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, that this is the show for you. You are in the right place because we are going to be doing everything that we can possibly do to shortcut your learning curve on the, your entrepreneurial journey. So, and we do that through education, and we do that through. Have we even used enlightenment before? That's a well, we haven't even finished. That. Why are you going jumping three other subjects? When you still have to solve what an expert is. I mean, come on. I just didn't, I just didn't no, you asked me what an expert was. 
It just felt exhausting. Okay, so an expert is someone who becomes an expert in their field, their industry, their business category by, on average, working 30 hours a week over the course of five consecutive years, assuming they take a couple weeks off for vacation. So, therefore, it creates 10,000 hours of expertise in their field, their industry, their business category, like I was saying. But we all know that no entrepreneur that's probably dedicated and serious about their endeavor um, would only work 40 hours a week. So you could possibly shortcut that by two years, three years, but that is the math if I am correct. It sounds like going to college, you know, four-year college and graduating in two years. All right, so I think there's like one or two other E's here, but we are going to try to get into the show. And so we're going to start off with Tracy's most famous one. And that's Grease Lightning is... Electrifying and silly. And part of experts is experience, because <laughs> when you have done something 10,000 times, you know it. And that's why Tracy and I know about the ease, because we've done it 10,000 times. All right. <laughs> but clearly, I can still use a little bit more practice, because I just went off the rails today. But that's okay. We got we to gotta keep it interesting. All right. Without any further ado... Why do I like that word? A-D-I-E-U, because it's all vowels, one consonant, all consonants, one vowel. I, I, I can never get that part right. I can spell it. <laughs> it's, it's all vowels, one consonant. I just had to think about it for a second. All right. Well, without any further ado, our guest is going, what did Brian get me into? And I'm going to have to have a conversation. So, Daniel, are you there? Hello, Peter. How are you? Hello, Tracy. Hello to Hello. Thank you. All right, you survived that first part. That we have to give you an applause for that for sticking around. All right, so he's got persistence. Now, all right, the name of your company is Gino Bank. Okay, explain to me how you came up with the name. Thank you very much. So basically, uh, our most sensitive data set or molecule it's our DNA, right? So my journey started in 2017 when my one of my kids, I have three kids, was diagnosed with a rare disease. And I was already working in cybersecurity, blockchain technology, and a little bit of bioinformatics. So I came with the idea of having basically what we call a, a genetic data locker that could be owned and controlled by the individuals or the patients or the family, but not by the company. So basically, Genobank is literally a digital bank where you can store what I think or what we believe is your most valuable information, which is your, your DNA data. So why not DNA bank? Well, it's a very interesting question because there are other molecules like RNA, right, that also are part of, and uh, it's like could be DNA, could be RNA, could be your microbiome, and could be also all other data sets related to your health. But it's like a, a genetic, could be genetic bolt as well, but we also think that bank is good because you can also store financial assets because let, let's remember that now blockchain technology allows to tokenize or to represent as tokens almost everything, right? Uh, like currencies, data sets, images, music, many digital things that are unique. Yeah. So walk us through the process. I do want to go a little bit about the company and how you got here, but I, I want people to understand the whole process here. So first of all, do I go to a Gino Bank? 
do I call in an, an online order form and, and, you know, give a little bit of my saliva and some blood? I mean, h- how does this process work? Well, that's, a, that's an awesome question. So we are a business-to-business protocol. So we basically work with existing laboratories. Oh, well, they, they can be new as well or emerging uh, laboratories and genetic testing companies that would like to differentiate themselves by offering a total uh, privacy-preserving repository or a storage, an individual storage piece of their servers to allow the users to store the data, but without them having like absolute control on that data. So the way it works is once we connect with the laboratory, we protect or we create these data lockers using their existing platform or their existing cloud services or their existing servers. But by using our technology, we allow their users, patients, or participants to control the encryption of their data. So the encryption is no longer controlled by the company, it's controlled by each individual. So this creates like what we call a self-sovereign data vault, right? So even if the data sets are stored by the laboratories or the genetic data companies, without the corresponding token, access token, we call it, or we also call it like a consent token given by the individual or the owner of the data, the company will not be able to decrypt the data. So it's basically an encryption, decryption kind of a schema that is now controlled by the users and not uh, by the company. I don't know if this is a good step. So you still go to the laboratory. The laboratory will offer you a kit, but this kit now will not be the data coming from that kit, which is your DNA usually, will not be centralized in a data set, in a database that will contain, let's say, thousands of users. Each user will have its own database or its own repository or bucket. Or that, there are many names, but at the end of the day, everybody will be able to have their own security box, like in banks, right? So banks offer these security boxes for physical valuable objects. And we offer this kind of same approach, but with, uh, for, for data. First of all, how do you do the encryption without software? There's got to be some software component to this, no? Yes, totally. So basically what we do is we offer unique QR codes for the kids. So we, we substitute the regular QR codes with our own technology. So that's part of the protocol. And we also offer an API. So these APIs will control, as you were saying, the governance of the data sets. And now we empower the individual, even, again, if the data set is stored in the laboratory's premises or servers. So, yes, it's basically we are a software company that we use, uh, again, uh, uh, Web3 or, or blockchain method to do this self-sovereign governance schema. Do you own any patents? We do. We have, well, not own yet. So we, we have three patents pending. Patent pending. Uh, exactly. They are pending. They're still being analyzed by the, the authority, but we think we have great chances to, to obtain them, yes. And without getting too into any confidential areas, so give me an example. What does one of your patents do? Does it, is it a patent over this complex system of encryption and keeping the data unavailable to other users? Is, is that what the patent's for, or what exactly is the patent for, if you can tell us? No, of course. Basically, our claims protect the use of, of non-fungible tokens. So I don't know if you have heard about how, I mean, these, these NFTs or non-fungible tokens started being very famous last year. 
Basically, the most famous use case so far is the visual NFTs, where you can tokenize an image, basically for authorship or to protect ownership and make it more unique, right, in terms of the digital world or, or the metaverse, right? So these NFTs work very well for objects or digital assets that are really unique, such as the DNA, right? So our patent covers that we represent each of your bio sample or your bio data set with an NFT. And this NFT, we call them bio NFT because they encode the rights or the privacy rules that can be, let's say, agreed upon the two parties. So here's an example. I would like to participate, let's say, in, in a research, right? So I, the biosample owner, will issue a token, an NFT, a bio-NFT, toward the laboratory with encoding, like, which date they'll be able to access the data, from which date to date, the period of time, what is the purpose, I will be able to revoke it, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So is, is the, 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 the rules, right, the, the, the policy that is between the company and I. Because today, consent, because we are, we are basically talking about consent tokens, consent is really given in a very static, and once you give a paper kind of based consent, you will never see your biosample or your, or your data again. And in this way, it's, it's a way to digitally track permissions, to track, let's say it's, it's, a, it's a kind of license to use for your biosample and your biodata. And the innovation here is that now we're using the blockchain to make it public, but confidential. So that's also very important. We take care of privacy very seriously. And the thing is that even if Genobank disappears because we're using Web3 methods, all these NFTs will keep on existing and being able to serve the individuals just because everything is itself sovereign, right? So everything will work as long as the blockchain technology is out there. So this is the innovation because today, if you give your data to someone and that company gets acquired or gets chapter 11, then all the consents and all the data will, you know, be in a kind of a, of a limbo, right? It will not have certainty of what would happen. And not in this case, so it's, it's a decentralized governance mechanism. So if it's all encrypted, okay, so first of all, how do other companies, the other part of this equation, how do other companies take this data to look for cures, to look for things? How are they doing that? I mean, if it's encrypted, there must be some way that all these researchers can get into the database and say, oh, uh, this one has you know 42 chromosomes, so I want to figure something out, and that's what I'm working on. It has to be filtered. Well, the only way to filter that is to technically go through each account. If the accounts are encrypted, I don't understand how a researcher could go through that. Oh, that's, that's an amazing question. So researchers can make requests specifically to one or many. I mean, they can broadcast a request in the network because basically we, we work as a network. And people, if they decide to enroll or to participate, they will create the specific token to that specific researcher, university, genetic testing company, or and so on and so forth. So it's, again, creating a unique license for each of the relationships. So in my mind, it, it looks like an octopus, right? In the middle is your boat, and then each arm of the octopus is a relationship between your data and someone else. 
And that someone else cannot be anonymous. The only uh, part that can be anonymous is you because the, the database only works with uh, pseudo-anonymous numbers or identifiers for the patients or the data owners, while the rest of the network has to be totally identified. So my understanding is somebody's going to give their DNA into a laboratory. Nobody's going to know who that person is. Researchers are going to be able to find out if they're looking for everybody that has the, uh, the cirrhosis of the liver gene, whatever. They can go through that analysis. That part is available. They just don't know who the person is. Then take that data and then try to find a cure for cirrhosis. Is that the concept? Yes, exactly. Exactly that. And again, just because now you have a wallet, or we call it a DNA wallet, that is pseudo-anonymous, your identity is not conflicted. So everything is just by using avatars, let's say. All right. Let's go. Tracy, Mrs. Pivot. Yes. Well, I am pivoting today to talk about team building and leadership because all of what you shared previously was amazing about the product and the product development itself. But we all know that no organization can function or they only function as well as their team. So can you give us a little bit of history of the timeline of the team that you've built and where things stand with that today? Thank you very much, Tracy. Of course. So basically, we're we're still a small team. We are uh, five people working full time, and we have other persons helping us in part time. Right. So we are a team of ten people total. But the core team is basically three engineers, software engineers. I, I'm considering part of that. I'm I'm kind of the architect or the yeah the designer of the solution, and I have two very good friends of mine, very uh, good colleagues. And we have uh, the back-end part and the front-end, right? So it's, it's basically what happens behind the scenes and then what happens, obviously, facing toward the, the user. And we basically have the background of cybersecurity and data management. So this is very important. I think this is one of the most needed parts in, in the history of, of the human digitalization, right? So it's to separate the public data from the private data or the, or the data that can be owned by a particular individual or family. And we all are passionate about that specific topic. The other thing is that it's kind of a, a good anecdote that all of my team is involved on DNA data privacy. We all have like these concerns when participating with all these legacy companies that once you have or you hand out your biosample or your saliva or your tissue, then you are out of the equation and there's no way you can trace what's going on after that event. So we are all involved, but our main mission or the, the thing that is the, the main glue is that we want to help people with rare diseases to access their genomic data, their genomic map, and be able to access a diagnose, a proper diagnose, and specifically in the uh, for, for the newborn sequencing, which is something very new. And so that, that's our, our, my technical team. And then I have my sales rep, the, the, Michael, that, the person that helps us to outreach to laboratory genetic testing companies and generate some leads. So that's basically my, my core team. And then we have, obviously, the marketing team that is outside uh, of, of the, the core team and some other business developers uh, that help us. 
That's amazing. I would imagine that you probably faced some challenges because of, of the requirement of the technical skills that are needed for you to be as successful as you are, that you had certain criteria. Um, can you talk through any of the challenges that you have experienced in terms of recruiting, retention, maybe even if you were struggling with certain things during the pandemic that may have been rectified now or still going on? Of course. Excellent questions again. So the technical part, yes, has been the most challenging one because we consider like Web3 or the uh, Web3 stands for the any blockchain-related kind of development. It's really still new. We are still early in, in that technology. So not all the engineers available, men and females uh, engineers, are fully trained. But it's that's okay. We teach them whatever they need to learn, and we are, I think, most of the time very, very patient on that regard. But it's an interesting question because this specific use case, what I'm referring is to the DNA decentralized management, led me to know a really special person in our ecosystem. His name is William Entriken. William lives in Philadelphia, and he helped me to architect our existing platform. And who is William Entriken? Well, he is the lead author of the most famous NFT or the most famous uh, non-fungible token in the world, which is the ERC-721. So being very, very technical, but we're talking to about a person that helped the entire world to make more than 1 billion transactions already, and he's a fantastic person. So I said, hey, uh, Will, we need to have a specific schema, a specific protocol for DNA. And it seems we, we didn't. He just uh, adapted the ERC-721 model, and from there, we talked to the other team and part of the friends during those conversations came on board. And th- those are our existing engineers today. So that's kind of the, we were connected first ideologically, which I believe is the best glue you can have in your team. And then we just worked together. Now, in the pandemic, we basically, we didn't have too much trouble, to be honest, because part of the team is in Slovenia, part of the team is in San Francisco and the other the other engineer is in Mexico, it's in, in the Yucatan Peninsula in, in Mexico. So we have always been working remotely, so the pandemic was not basically an issue. What an amazing connection that you're able to make with such a skilled person in that specific area. That really feels like something that's almost a miracle of sense in a way, right? I think so too. It was uh, providential, I, I would say. I mean, obviously, I contacted him a couple of times, but he obviously he receives, I think, thousands of requests. But he was interested because he also had, let's say, uh, a call to say, hey, well, let's use this, this technology to empower the individual to have a saying, to have control over these data sets using this, this technology. And he's still obviously close to Genebank. Yeah, but it was really, really a very nice opportunity to interact with Will. So I don't know if you heard about Legal Steps. That basically is a step-by-step program to teach you how to incorporate a business or do a trademark. I don't know if you've done that for your company yet or not, but if you had something out there that was like that, do you think that would be something good for somebody that's starting a business? Oh, totally. Yeah, actually, we, we went through that process. I also happen to know a lot of the legal stuff from Mexico. And yeah, it's the United States is obviously 10 times easier and 10 times more clear to build a company because uh, just an example, you can incorporate a company within, let's say, uh, roughly two weeks, I, I would say, and then open the bank account the next day. 
basically. In Mexico, it can take you from four to six months to have the complete thing. So that hurts, obviously, the, the entrepreneurial ecosystem. But yeah, for, for sure, this is a, one of the most important topics when you are trying to build your own company. Well, thanks. Tracy had some more questions about business and your operations. Yeah, so we were talking through building out your team and your leadership. I want us to get to marketing, but before we get to marketing, we do need to understand, so how are you planning on scaling from where you are now to where you want to be? Thank you, Tracy. So today we, we already work with 30 laboratories. The number one reason the laboratories are interested in our platform is to cryptographically protect all the data that they are producing. Let me explain a little bit more because when some laboratory, it could be clinical or it could be genetic or whatever laboratory, they will just basically share the data using legacy methods. Like maybe it's encrypted or decrypted or whatever, but it's not signed. And what I'm meaning about signing is like this technology using like DocuSign or HelloSign that usually we, we use for documents, right? But now using our technology, they can sign data. And these signatures, these cryptographic signatures, their main objective is to prevent fraud because there's a lot of legal cases around data that comes from laboratory. Let's say a paternity test, right? So a paternity test is uh, higher quality. If it's cryptographically signed and notarized using the blockchain because it cannot be altered, it is now a tamper-proof data set. So that's the number one reason. And the second reason, obviously, is to comply with data privacy regulations in a better and very innovative way because now laboratories are accepting that the owner of those data sets is the patient or the individuals and not them because many companies also kind of have a fine print where if you participate with some specific companies, they will make you forfeit the ownership of your data, which we think is no, not ethical. It could be legal, but it's not necessarily ethical. So we, we prevent those cases. So we are scaling because privacy now is becoming a very important topic. Let's remember that now one of the main agendas in the houses, the House of Representatives, is this thing about TikTok and the, the data from Americans being in hands of a Chinese company. So that's right away a data privacy issue. So now... If we would like to obviously scale because we want to protect everybody's DNA, right, from foreign countries or let's just say unauthorized parties in general, right? But in essence, we have talked to, let's say, the director of cybersecurity for an Israel and himself, he said, no, the DNA data from our citizens is a matter of national security and every single country should be thinking in the same way. So by using our technology, we can comply with those type of national security and, and encryption and, and all the, the policies. Wow, that is such exciting stuff. And I just, I mean, it's something that the world is really ready for, especially when it comes to all of the privacy rights, and there's so, so much conversation around that. So you mentioned that you have a business development person on your team. Are they focused more on the B2B side and the, or the B2C side, and why? Yes, it's B2B is more to contact laboratories and genetic testing companies that 
again, they just acknowledge that now need more privacy and to give more controls to toward their, their patients. And they're using this as a competitive advantage, just like Apple is using like the privacy as, as the new branding, right? So we don't, we don't sell your data. We can sell you, let's say, expensive and fancy apparatus, but not your data, right? We don't, we don't mess with it. So we're kind of the same in, in that regard. Yes, so we're going to continue to ask more questions. In the meantime, though, I want to be sure that our audience, if they want to continue this conversation, learn more about the company and all the fascinating things that you have going on in the technology space, what is the best way for them to learn more about the company and even possibly engage with you if that's an option? Of course, we would love to talk with anybody that could be interested on our technology stack or even if in privacy and genomics, let's say, or DNA. The best way is to my email, which is uh, daniel at genbank.io. I am also very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me as Daniel Uribe or Uribe. My profiles, I have a, a DNA emoticon or a DNA kind of a little icon, so I'm kind of a easy target then to locate. And I'm also on Twitter. My name is, uh, or my uh, user there is the UIBB. So, but, but again, uh, more than happy to continue the conversation and hopefully there's uh, more and more interest on using the, the technology to empower basically patients to own and control their information and in this way we protect everybody else, right? Because let, let's remember that the DNA is a family reference. So 50% of our DNA is my father, 50% is my mother, and 25% my grandparents, and so on and so forth, right? So it's basically, the DNA is it's a family reference. It's not only an individual. And we call this like the DNA is the, the blockchain technology from nature, right? It's, it's how it's been keeping the information that works and the information that doesn't work, and we call this the evolution, right? So now we can have a digital technology to also keep the ownership of these data sets as well, and I'm, I'm really, really honored to have been here and, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about Genobank. Yes, well thank you and for those who are listening and could possibly not be able to capture all of that, the resource links will be in the show notes of the podcast and so that you'll be able to make those connections if you're interested in doing that. And speaking of the podcast, we would love for you to Go to wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So that could be Apple, Spotify, iHeart, any of the platforms where you listen. And you can not only review and listen to this particular episode, or you can listen to the, our back catalog of our previous experts that we've had on the Ask Brian show. So go and identify the Ask Brian, that's A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N podcast and follow it and leave us a rating, a review, and share it with your friends. Well, thanks. So I have another question, Daniel. If somebody actually wanted to use your services or get involved, how do they do that? I mean, how do they know which labs they can go to? Oh, that's, that's a really interesting question. So we have a list in our portal of our existing partners, um, but the main outreach, to be honest, has been done by the laboratories themselves. So they are like trying to promote that now they have these individual or privacy-preserving genetic data lockers 
to protect the information and we, we just appear like, like the privacy by Genobank. But we are still a startup, so we are still wouldn't have too, too many laboratories as we might like. But hopefully people will, will start even demanding, right, this, this type of, of uh, I mean, it's more like an invitation. So please try to speak with all the laboratories and start asking what are they doing with your bio data, right? So after you interact with them and start getting more involved, please, with what is going on with your bio samples and bio data. And this starts the conversation and it, it allows us to connect with more laboratories uh, over and over. Super. Thank you very much, Daniel. Great to have you on. KHS 1220 98.1 FM. Over and out! Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.